Thanks for listening to the Camel Call Podcast. We feature some long-form conversations with former players and staff here in the creek. What are some of their best memories of playing with the Fighting Camels? What has gotten them involved in sports today? What's kept them going to this point? And what do they remember most about their days in the creek? I'm Evan Budjevich here sitting down with Andrew Golfsky, the now assistant coach at VMI up in Lexington, Virginia. Andrew was the director of operations for three years here in Bowie's Creek from 16 to 19, so a recent run with the men's basketball program. He, of course, cut down the nets with the team when they won the title in the regular season last year and got his footsteps started all the way out in Memphis, Tennessee, where he was a high school player for Kenneth White. That opened his door to Bowie's Creek. Trips in between with Bruce Pearl being a GA in Auburn and a player himself down in Birmingham Southern, a Division Three program that has its roots in the Big South back in the 1990s. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation for a couple of reasons. One, it talks about the process of growing up. Andrew's in his mid-20s. He's now married and getting his life rolling in Virginia. As he started as the assistant director of operations, moving his way up to the head role and now into the coaching ranks. So kind of the full circle path from the lowest tier in the totem pole, making his climb all the way up. And we'll dive into some of those topics along with some great games that he witnessed here with Campbell. From your standpoint, coming to Campbell four years ago now, what did you learn in that operations role, and, and what was your thoughts as you first came in a couple years out of school? Yeah, great question, Evan. Appreciate you, you know, first having me on. I'm excited to, uh, you know, get to talk with you, and, and definitely enjoyed my time at Campbell. But when I uh, when I first took the job at Campbell, I was super excited. Uh, it, it was a rare uh, opportunity because I, I had previous relationships with people on staff. As uh, Kenneth White, you know, one of the assistants was my uh, high school coach long ago, so knew him really well. And then uh, Mike McPyle, who was another assistant, um, I had previous relationships with uh, from from my time working at Auburn. He knew Coach Golden and, and Coach Pearl and other people there. So that was exciting, you know, going into a place that you had previous relationships. But, um, you know, basketball and sports in general is such a different type of job uh, where, you know, not everybody's path is the same. Like you talk to so many guys um, and, and you ask them, how did you get started? And, and everybody's kind of different. And so uh, I think my path was great. I ended up getting a job at, at Campbell uh, as assistant ops to start and then got promoted to director of ops after that. Um, but uh, it was awesome. I learned a lot. I think one of the, the rare things uh, about that position was when you go to a, you know, mid-major type of school at the division one level, um, in that spot, you're able to do so much um, where if you're at like a high major school, you maybe have like a you have so many people on staff that you don't have as much of a role. Um, you have like specific areas that you're supposed to work on where at Campbell, um, luckily enough, Coach McGeehan trusted me a lot and allowed me to kind of be involved in every part of the, the basketball program with the actual basketball stuff. But then also the behind the scenes stuff of, of how to run a basketball program and what's needed to be a, you know, to run a successful basketball program. So I was just able to kind of have my hand in so many different spots of a, a basketball program and learned so much at, at my time at Campbell. Before you got the Campbell opportunity, you had a unique role working under Bruce Pearl, and of course that's a name that people know on the national level, but your role w was pretty unique because you weren't necessarily coaching, but you had hands-on experience and you got to get a, you know, another degree while you were working that year at Auburn. So I I'm always curious from, from that perspective – what is it like as you're working up the coaching ranks, and, and what did you learn from Bruce Pearl in that short but valuable time? Yeah, great question, Evan. That was a, an awesome experience for me, and you know, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching but didn't know exactly how and was lucky enough to be able to go to Auburn 
um, as a grad assistant um, there and learned so much. You know, you get to see a coach like Bruce Pearl, who's, you know, everybody knows super successful and has been successful at every stop of the way in his coaching career. So you really get to see what it takes to be successful. And I think it was unique because when, when I went to Auburn, that was kind of the beginning um, of his time at Auburn. So he was just building the program. So I got to see, you know, how, how a successful coach like himself um, runs a program from the, obviously the basketball side, but uh, the recruiting side, the analytics side, you know, just everything that goes along with it. And again, you get to be around. I think the other unique thing was just at a place like Auburn, that staff was unbelievable. Like some of the coaches that were there as, as you had obviously coach Pearl, but you had his son, Stephen Pearl, who's a great up and coming coach. But then also you had like coach Todd Golden, who's now the head coach at San Francisco. So got to be around a, a guy like him that is, you know, now a head coach and you get to see, you know, even at that time, uh, I always knew how, how successful he was going to be because you can see how he carries himself. And at that time he already carried himself like a head coach. And then you had other assistants like uh, coach Harris Adler, who was super successful as well. And then go down to, you know, like the ops guys and coach Chad Pruitt and, and so on. There's just so many uh, different coaches at that level that are successful. So you get to learn so much. And I think that especially as your first opportunity in the college game, to be around so many successful people and to be around such a big program like Auburn was, you know, an unbelievable uh, experience for me and, and learned so much. And, and those are people that I still rely on to this day for advice, um, you know, about X's and O's of basketball, but then also just life as a coach, because they've been through, you know, things that maybe I haven't or, or things that I'm going through right now as I move up in this profession. So, Andrew, currently you work at VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. And, and one thing you've mentioned about learning from Bruce Pearl and, and Kevin McGeehan and, and all these coaches you, you've interacted with is how to truly be a head coach, not only from an X's and O's standpoint, but interacting with boosters and, and being a, a face for the community and those different aspects that are, that are so crucial to the role. How do you manage all that and maintain your day-to-day responsibilities but also try to be a sponge and, and soak up all those lessons for when – maybe one day you slide into that role? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think that's something that if you, if you ask like any head coach right now, um, you know, they'll say the same things that like us as assistants say, you know, you're always as an assistant, you always think you're ready to be that head coach. And then when you get that opportunity, you realize, wow, it's not just basketball. There's so many different things that go into it. Like you mentioned with uh, just running a program, donors, uh, making sure, you know, talking to the academic advisor, just everything that goes into uh, being a head coach. But I think one thing that I've tried to do, and, and I think it's been unique that I've been able to work with different coaches, um, is because you get to learn, you know, new things that each coach does. Um, and not every program's run the same way, but I've been able to work for, you know, now three successful head coaches that I've learned a lot from. And uh, one thing that I try to do, you know, right now, even as an assistant, is, is I try to think um, as a head coach, like anything that anything that I'm doing, I want to, my first thought is like, if I was a head coach, what would I do? Um, and that's something that my head coach now, Coach Earl, kind of told me um, that he did when he was assistant is try to picture yourself as a head coach in everything that you're doing, every problem that comes up, what would you do if you're the head coach? And I think that gives you a chance to understand uh, the way that they do it and the way you would do it. And it also, you know, allows you to make probably better decisions because you're not only thinking about the the moment, but you're thinking of the, the program as a whole and, and making sure you make the right decision. But, um, you know, there's just so many things that go into it and balancing, obviously the basketball part's important. You're, you're, you're paid to win games. Um, but then there's also the, the donor relationships, making uh, 
but coming close to those that are have done so much for your program or helping support you. Um, and, and then you also have to uh, player relationships, being close to your players and, and everything like that goes into it and being close to those that are around your players, um, you know, their circle. And, and then you also have your own, your own things at home, right? Like your family and trying to, you know, be a good husband or father, whatever it is. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it, but um, obviously I, I'm still learning to this day and, and excited about the, the future. Anders, especially with your relationship with Dan Earl, who's the head coach at, at VMI, I'm fascinated by the fact that he started at Navy as an assistant and associate head coach. He played at Penn State, very disciplined uh, growing up and, and has had great success as a coach and a player. So when you go into a program like that and VMI, a military institute that has discipline and, and rigor like you'd expect, what are what's the mindset like maybe switching to that type of program and learning under someone like Dan Earl who's been through the, the rigors as a coach at Navy and now at VMI and trying to implement that type of style with your program? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Coach Earl is an unbelievable coach, and, and I'm you know thankful that I get to work for somebody like him. He is uh, you know probably one of the most detailed-oriented coaches that I've been around from, from everything, as in like when he's watching a recruit or watching our players, he notices things that I, I think – not many coaches at this level notice. Um, he's just got a natural eye for that kind of things. But, um, you know, I, I think I learn every day um, and, and get better every day working for him from just being around him, but then also like the things that he allows me to do. And I think any place that you go to, there's going to be a change. It's just like anything in life where you, when you go somewhere new, there's going to be there, people are going to do things differently. Um, but I think uh, I tried to be detail oriented in, in my previous stops as well. Now, obviously when you go to, a school like VMI that is a, a military school, you know, there's some, some things that go on as in like the detailed schedule and everything like that, um, that you have to get used to. Um, but I think, uh, I've been able to make a good transition and a lot of it's been because of coach Earl and, um, just the way he runs a program. And, uh, I think he's an unbelievable coach and somebody that, you know, again, I'm, I'm learning so much from, um, and I've really enjoyed working for him. And, and he's he's unique because he was an unbelievable player. He probably doesn't like to tell people how good of a player he was, but awesome player at, at Penn State. And then he worked at, you know, played professionally for about eight years and then worked at Penn State as assistant and went to Navy. So I think he had a unique uh, experience as in he was already at a military school and then comes here to, to be the head coach um, at, at VMI. So I think he had an idea of what, you know, what's needed to, to win at a school um, like VMI. And, um, you know, he's just an awesome coach to, to learn from. I wanted to ask you about moving from an operations role to a, a coaching role, because it's something that a lot of folks in your industry are, are starting on that path, whether they're a GA or an ops person. But reg regardless of maybe where you sit on the bench, what, what are some of the major differences between being the guy in the ops role who has an understanding of the team and knows a lot of the players to now being someone who is critical in scouting reports and, and things of that nature? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think one thing that benefited me was, you know, Coach McGeehan, like I said, he's an awesome coach to work for. Um, I think anybody that's ever worked for him would say the same thing. And and one thing that, that I really enjoy with, with Coach McGeehan is he allowed every person who's on staff to be involved in every part of the program. So even if you were, you know, like this year, Nick Holiday is the GA, like even the GA is going to be involved in everything that that goes on with the program. And so Coach McGinn does a great job of of helping you uh, learn the game as a, as a coach, because there are things you got to learn. Um, and he allows you to, you know, luckily enough with my relationship with him, he allowed me to kind of be a part of everything. So I felt like I was prepared 
um, to be an assistant because he had done such a good job of preparing me for that moment. Now there's obviously a, a huge difference because, you know, as operations, you're not allowed to be on the court working out the guys. You're not allowed to be um, recruiting and, and things like that. And then I think one part of, uh, you know, operations is like your job is to make sure the program as a whole is running smoothly. Um, that, you know, your head coach can work, can just worry about coaching. Um, your assistants can just worry about coaching. Um, and so you're doing a lot of the background stuff while also, you know, being involved in the other parts of the coaching. But, you know, your big thing is just trying to make everybody's life easier. And, and part of that is you probably have a different relationship with the players as the ops guy than you do as an assistant coach, um, just because you're not coaching them as much about basketball. You're, you're mainly helping them and making sure everything's good for them and, and all that kind of stuff. So when you shift into that assistant role, now you're every day coaching these guys to get better. You know, you're, you're now uh, your relationship probably changes a little bit because now you're, you know, there may be times that you end up getting on to them a little bit more on the basketball court, which you weren't able to do as an ops guy because you're not on the court. Um, so I think that's one major part. And then obviously, you know, scouting and everything like that, you know, having your own, uh, you know, even though if you're the ops, you're probably involved in some of, you know, the basketball side of things as well, but you're not on the court uh, for, a, you know, leading a scouting report um, where then as the assistant coach, um, depending on how your staff does it, but like at VMI, you're leading that scouting report. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, being prepared for what the other team's going to do, making sure your guys are prepared. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some changes, but I do think, uh, personally, for me, I, I was ready for uh, the moment. And a lot of that has to do with just Coach McGeehan, you know, giving me the allowing me to be a part of kind of everything. Um, and the rest of the staff allowing me to be part of their of kind of everything they were doing as well. So I want to talk about some great Campbell memories because you started in 2016 and that was a, a three year stretch that ha has just culminated this past year. But certainly nearly 60 wins, multiple postseason appearances. There were some some fun games, Anders. So Let's start with the Chris Clemens sophomore year because we do kind of date things in Chris Clemens' time around here at Campbell. <laughs> and uh, so his sophomore season, it, it was a good start to the year, but it, w it was a fantastic finish, especially in the Big South tournament. And I want to ask you about that Big South conference run uh, down in Winthrop where the tournament was located. But we were we were a seven seed. There, there was some optimism because of the talent uh, of the Marcus Burks and the Chris Clemens of the world. But when you're sitting there in the hotel the night before the, the Asheville game, what what's going through your mind and, and as Chris starts going off for that 51 points you know you're right there on the bench how are you and the staff reacting to that moment yeah that's a it's an unbelievable moment and something that I you know us as a staff even the ones that are no longer at Campbell like when we talk to each other we still talk about that game um you know you go into that game and, and Asheville had a really good season I think I want to say Winthrop and Asheville were tied and uh, that they ended up Winthrop got the tiebreaker or whatever it was. So we play Asheville who, who was a really talented team. And, and even, you know, Chris had an unbelievable game. And, and even like when I go back and watch the, the film of that game, I still felt like I, we were going to lose that game during the, during the moment. And then like, I, I'm still like shocked at some of the shots that Chris hits um, and they were just unbelievable. And, and that's one of those rare games where you have an individual player who's just not going to allow his team to lose. Um, and Chris, um, you know, being such a great player, was able to do things in that game and just kind of will us to victory. Obviously, the supporting cast made big shots and big stops. But that game is one that I'll probably never forget, just the individual performance that Chris put on. And, and you know, UNC Asheville was trying to do everything. They were putting – they probably put four different guys on him. They were sending double teams at him, and he was just not going to be able to be stopped. Uh, and, and that was the moment 
you know, after that game, obviously we're excited, but we could tell after that game, like we were, it wasn't going to be just a one game thing for us. Like everybody was so locked in. Obviously we're excited to get that win. But as soon as that game was over, um, we were ready for the next game. And I think that showed and the team really clicked into that year. And, and obviously, you know, we had an okay season during that full, you know, at the beginning of the season, but we were young and kind of inexperienced and, and learning as we go and had a few injuries and everything like that. But uh, super proud of that group. And that was kind of the, the year that, you know, brought everybody together. And obviously we continue that as the years went on. So as an Alps guy, I do have to ask in your first year, what's it like on your opening trip trying to navigate a couple of flights in, I believe we flew into Oklahoma City and then drove up to Stillwater to play Oklahoma State, and then the next year trying to coordinate a, a trip up to Penn State and, and do all that travel from just your standpoint, learning on the fly there. Yeah, the, that, that's flights and travel in general is an ops guy's nightmare. Um, you're just hoping, like the biggest thing, especially with commercial flights, is just hoping that everything goes smoothly. Like no, the plane, nothing happens to the plane. You know, you got a strict schedule. You're hoping that the bus is there on time. You know, you've probably called them multiple times. Um, and obviously, you know, as your first trip that you're in charge of going to, you know, being a, a flight trip, uh, you know, it's a little makes you a little nervous. You just want to make sure everything goes well. Um, luckily enough, uh, everything went pretty smooth and we didn't have any hiccups with anything. But it's definitely anything that has to do with travel. If you, if you ask any ops guy um, on, on any staff in America, especially when it comes to flights, they're definitely uh, – nervous as they get on that plane or as they're waiting on that plane to, to, to get there. And then as they get off the plane, hoping the bus is there on time, um, because you really do have a strict schedule of, you know, we've got all these things planned with meals, practice, film, um, you know, one mistake kind of changes everything. And again, like your job as an ops guy is to make your head coach's life easy. He doesn't need to worry about anything other than you've given him an itinerary. He knows where he's going to be. He doesn't need to worry about, what's happening with all the, oh gosh, the bus is messed up. You've got to be able to, you know, put fires out and, and make his life easy. Absolutely. And and I want to go to the next season because obviously Chris kind of put Campbell on the map that year and the team made the Big South final. But the next year, another successful season, another winning year that, that led to a, a CIT appearance and all the way to the semifinals, which I, I thought was fascinating because the, the first couple of years, there were a lot of home tournament games. They would win those and move on. But got a chance to go out to San Francisco and play Mike Magpio, who was an assistant with us kind of when you got started and for a few years prior to that. So as you're going on that trip, one, you had in and out which I was very jealous of. I didn't get to travel <laughs> on that trip. But uh, two, just to be able to go that far in a tournament and maybe what you learned as a coach and, and as an assistant of op operating a team across the country, being in that March Madness style and and gosh, there were only about 10 teams left in the country that were still playing at that point, just with how far the tournament had gone that late in the March. Yeah, no, basketball-wise, you know, I think that team, it all started the year before, like when we went on that run and we're able to, you know, play in the postseason, like as you, uh, you know, we had so many young guys and they learned as, you know, Chris got better, Marcus got better, you know, everybody got better from, you know, that, that year before. And I think that showed in the next season. Um as the guys had improved and they were hungry, you know, you got a taste of it and we're excited about it, but you want to continue to, to get better. And I, and I think that showed throughout the season and the guys just kept getting better and better and they were locked in. And I think, you know, one thing it was unique because after, you know, every practice when we're playing in that tournament, you know, coach McGeehan's talking to the team and he's always saying, you know, whatever it is, there's uh, at this point, there's 75 teams playing at this next, you know, the week later, there's, 
30 teams. The next time there's, by the end of it, there's 10 teams playing college basketball, um, which is, you know, unbelievable. You don't think of that right away, but you know, when coach says that you're like, wow, we're, you know, we're one of the 10 teams in division one still playing and, and it means something. And the guys got excited about it. And obviously, you know, it was awesome to have the home games. And I think the crowd, the crowd of Bowie's Creek, like they came out and supported. Um, and I think that's something that um, I'll always remember is just the, the community, how much they cared about the basketball team and how much they supported us throughout those years. Um, but then, you know, getting, it's awesome for the guys to get to go somewhere like San Francisco and to get to see, you know, new things and, and to play a, you know, a West coast conference team. And it was uh, interesting because like you said, coach Mac Pyle was on that staff. And then also for me, coach golden, who I worked with at Auburn was on that staff. So it was like a, a reunion of sorts. And then also you had a, another coach on that staff, coach Hovde, who played at Richmond uh, when coach McGee was there and played with uh, coach Thomas and coach Smith. So it was a reunion of, for kind of everybody. Um, and it was like, you know, you never want to play your friends because you always want your friends to win. And so it was a weird, uh, a weird time, but um, it was an awesome game. You know, I think we still uh, feel, feel bad about how we lost that game. It was right at the end. Uh, I think they, they shot a free throw on missed and, uh, ended up like, I forget what was on the clock, but we ended up losing the game by like one or two. Um, we felt like we were right there. Um, but travel wise as operations, like that was a different kind. That was our first, uh, West coast trip. Um, and the first thing you realize when you get there is how much, uh, how much more expensive things are out in your, uh, your area of, of California. Absolutely. Um, as we, we got there super late because of the time change. And like the only thing that was open was Denny's and I'm thinking, Denny's was connected to the hotel that they had put us in. And I'm thinking, well, Denny's is going to be pretty cheap. And we go into Denny's and it was like $24 a person um, to, to get a meal. It was some outrageous, uh, you know, number for, uh, for Denny's. Um, and obviously we had to feed our guys and everything like that. So, but, but I think, you know, the operation side, everything went smooth. And, and obviously when you get to be with one of those tournaments, they help a lot um, with the, with the travel and everything like that to try to help you. And you've got like someone that you're speaking to, uh, from the company that's going to help uh, help you navigate everything. But I think it was just an awesome experience for our guys as we got to, you know, go travel around San Francisco and just be together. And, and that's something that I think basketball and sports in general is so cool that you can use, you know, this little ball to take you to places that you've never been um, and that maybe you'd never be able to go and just see new cultures and new things. And I, I think that's something that you know, when you're in college, you don't think about it. But as you leave, like when I reflect back on my playing career and then obviously now coaching, uh, just like the different stops that you get to go to because of this this orange basketball is unbelievable. I'm glad you brought that up because especially now during this pandemic and during the time without sports, I think that really comes full circle and we start to realize not only how much we miss the games and the practices, but you're right, kind of the cultural experience and, and being able to interact with so many people. So Andrew, your final year at Campbell was a fascinating season because of the fact that uh, Campbell was able to host the Big South Tournament, go to the NIT, accomplish so many things as a group, and, and Chris Clemens and Andrew Udy were big parts of that. But take me to the final game of the regular season because there, there was almost a, a beating pulse and, a, and an energy that was so different about campus and, and the arena that day, but also kind of the whole fan base that week leading up to it because there was a conference title on the line. There was hosting a tournament on the line. There was two of the maybe best players in recent memory in Campbell set to graduate that week. So what what was it like just as a coach and, and someone around the program experiencing it and, and being a part of that moment? 
Yeah, I think that it was an unbelievable moment. I think people that obviously, you know, people in Bowie's Creek understand how much they, they care about, you know, Campbell University and as a whole and then the basketball program. But, um, you know, people that have never been to Bowie's Creek, that atmosphere that, that we had for that game and, and for a lot of those games that year was unbelievable. Um, the community, they came out and they supported and, and they had been, you know, this team was almost like their baby as they had seen, you know, like you mentioned, the, the two seniors and Chris Clemens and Andrew Udy, they grew up before their eyes. Um, obviously, Chris came in and was an impact guy from day one. But, you know, Andrew, you know, he had his ups and downs, but he, you know, developed so much and became a guy that was an all-conference guy. And, I, and I'd say a guy that if you ask the other coaches in the conference, they like Chris was obviously unbelievable, but Udy was just as important um, and was somebody that they struggled to be able to figure out because he was so skilled. And especially with the, you know, our offense that we run, having a guy like Udy out there makes it so much harder to guard, especially then you got Chris and the other guys, the supporting cast. Um, so I think it was an unbelievable atmosphere. And, and as a coach, you know, being on that team, everybody was just excited. Anybody that you talked to was excited about the game um, and then playing, you know, Radford, um, which is obviously a, a huge game. And um, you do know as the coach being around someone like Chris, you had a feeling we weren't going to lose that game um, just because Chris is going to, in the moment, he's going to be ready. And, and that was something that you got so used to um, any type of late game situation or any time when the moment's big, he wanted the ball. Um, and he wanted to, he wanted to win. Um, and, and I think that as a team, you know, dating back from my first year there to, to, to that last year, the team expected to win, you know, as a team, when you're young, you got to figure out how to win games. And I think if you look at that, that three-year journey every year, the, the team got better. And every year by the end of it, you know, the seniors and then the juniors and the sophomores, everybody and the freshmen, everybody, when you go into a game, it didn't matter who they were playing we all expected to win. And I think that showed throughout that season, obviously on that, that, that last game to, you know, win the, the big South uh, regular season championship and just to see how much the, the crowd cared and the community cared and just see the look on, you know, all of us as coaches and hugging the players. Um, and, and then to be honest, like one of the bigger moments for me, and I probably haven't told anybody this, but when you see someone like uh, Stan Cole, um, and, and you see, you know, he's been around the program longer than anybody. You just see the raw emotion on his face um, was something that was pretty awesome to see. And, um, you know, obviously yours and the rest of, you know, everybody, all the support staff and Chris Haymeyer to Jared Fries to, you know, our, our strength coach and Jamie, like everybody that's involved, um, you know, with the program, like how excited. And um, it was just an unbelievable moment. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because just sitting on the court and filming different things, I think the net cutting ceremony is always a, that historic, that NCAA tournament type of feel to it, it was fantastic. And then, just like you said, I would say about an hour after the game, there were still 1,000, 2,000 people sitting in their seats, kind of that WWE style where they're waiting for the excitement and the energy of that game and, and knowing what was to come. That was that was a pretty neat week. You know, of course, it came up a little short in the tournament, but that was certainly fun. And, Andrew, I want to ask you about, not only where you are now, but where you kind of started from, because you grew up in the Memphis area. You had a relationship playing with, with Kenneth White, and you were a player who didn't play at the highest levels. You know, you went Division three basketball. You had a, a fun career at Birmingham Southern, got a lot of opportunities to play and, and develop. So, you know, we see college athletes at, at the highest of levels, and there's conversations about whether it's paying athletes or competing for big money and things of that nature. But 
What is it like maybe at the Division three or just the lower levels where the love of the game, the passion of the game, you don't necessarily get the same benefits from travel and things of that nature? How did that build into your college experience and, and make you, whether you enjoyed it or challenged you in certain ways? Yeah. I mean, I think at any of the lower levels from, you know, at any level, whether it's Division three, Division two, II, Division one, you know, the lower the level it is, the, the more different it's going to be. Um, and I think especially at the division three level, the guys that are playing that playing at that level, they're doing it because they love basketball um, and, and they want to continue to play. Now there's some really good players at division three that, you know, like if you get some of the best guys in division three, like all conference guys, and they go play against some division one guys, like you would not see a difference in talent. Um, but then as a whole, like the guys that are playing at that level, you're doing it because you love basketball and um, you want to be around the game. And, and so I think, you know, one thing for me, obviously, I just wanted to continue to play. I had some other opportunities where I could have gone and been like preferred walk on at some Division One schools and I had some D2 opportunities as well. But felt like, you know, Birmingham Sun was a good spot. I went too far away from home and, and good basketball as they had been a team that had just transitioned from Division One. So I had D- Division One facilities and great coaching staff and a history and everything like that. And obviously, opportunity to play was important to me. I, I knew I wanted to get into coaching, but I also wanted to play. Um, and so that was part of it for me. But I think the biggest thing for me is like, you're just around guys that are, that are just like you that are, uh, that, that love basketball and want to put the time in and, and get better. And I think my favorite memories, um, from college, obviously the basketball part was great and enjoyed it, but just being around my teammates, um, whether it's on the basketball court or outside of it, because you just have all these unbelievable, uh, you know, moments that happen and things that you still talk about today and people that are in your weddings and you'll be in their weddings and, you know, like I've got a group chat with about seven of my teammates right now. We probably talk every single day um, just about the, the funny experience that happened. Obviously, the basketball part is is where it all started. And a lot of the funniest parts are from that when you get yelled at by a coach or somebody does something, you know, crazy or whatever it is. Um, there's just so many stories and relationships. And um, that was probably my favorite thing about it. But it's obviously uh, not as glamorous as the Division One level where you're you're being able to, you know, you're on TV and you're got all these fans of your games. Like there's some times where you got a bunch of fans, but there's also, uh, you know, some gyms you go into at, at that level that look like a high school gym and there's nobody at the game. And so you're really playing because you're a competitor and you really love basketball. From a playing to coaching standpoint, obviously a huge step in how you relate to players and how you interact with players. But I wanted to get a sense too, because, your coaching career kind of interestingly started on the AAU circuit, and this was kind of while you were in college and, and sort of fresh out of school, but working with these young 14-, 15-year-old kids. Is that where you sort of felt like, okay, hey, I, I'm starting to work with these kids. I can take this to the next level, or how did that fuel your, your passion for coaching? Yeah, I always knew that I wanted to get into coaching. Now, just like anybody, I had crazy dreams of MBA and all that kind of stuff, but I quickly realized those dreams faded quick for me. Um, but I always knew I wanted to, uh, to get into coaching, but I didn't know how like coaching is like I mentioned earlier, such a weird profession where there's no, there's not like an outline way to do it. You know, like, it's not like if you want to be a doctor, you do really well in school and then you get into med school and then you you do well with all that and you become a doctor. Um, obviously I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is. Um, but you know, there's not a a perfect way to get into coaching, but when I was playing in college, I, I had, uh, knew I wanted to get into coaching and didn't know what exactly to do. So I was talking to one of our assistant coaches at Birmingham Southern and he said, well, why don't you just coach AU? At least we'll give you some experience. And he didn't think it was going to be that good of an AU team. 
Um, and so he had a friend that was running an AAU team named, uh, you know, Chris Monroe. And so he had uh, reached out to him and said, do you need a, a coach? And, and so I talked to Chris and Chris allowed me to be part of the, the coaching staff there for the AAU team. And I show up to practice expecting it to be, you know, like solid high school players. And I get there and it probably, I want to say it's like seven to eight division one guys, a few that are, you know, like Wendell Carter, who, who got drafted in the, the lottery by the Chicago Bulls and, you know, guys that played at Auburn, Alabama, UAB, Iowa State, you know, the, the list goes on and on, um, you know, all these division one players. Um, and so it was an unbelievable opportunity to get to, to see those guys at a young age. And, and that was my second, I guess, my second coaching opportunity. One summer coach, uh, uh, Kenneth White, who was, who was at Campbell, obviously, when he was a high school coach, he needed a JV coach for the summer and I was still playing in college. So that was my first, I was a JV coach for him for one summer. That was my first coaching job. And my second coaching job was at AAU, but that was probably my first real coaching job was at the AAU and getting to be around, uh, you know, all these players and start working them out and start, you know, really coaching. And, and that was how I met a lot of coaches and, and kind of got my foot in the door um, relationship wise with all these different coaches because I was around all these players and, um, you know, like my first relationship probably was with like Adam Cohen, who's a associate head coach at uh, Stanford. And he was a guy that really kind of took me under his wing when I was still in college and, and showed me the ropes and kind of outlined how how can I become a, a college basketball coach? So definitely appreciated him. But then through that AU is how I met, you know, Coach Pearl and, you know, a lot of different coaches. So was truly lucky for that opportunity. And, and I'd say that was uh, not where I got my hunger, but that was where I got my direction. Uh, of where this coaching career will go. Yeah, you're right about how connections can be kind of out of nowhere, but yet so vital to moving up in the roles. And, Ander, I know in any sport there's superstition to it, so I want to bring up a, a fun story from uh, Chris's sophomore season, your first year at Campbell. So we're in the conference tournament, and I had traveled with the team as a, a video and social media person, and we had a neat little tradition where, you know, the team would do the synchronized clapping before the start of practice, and they'd all come together. But – Ander, I don't want to give you more credit than this is, but certainly every time we filmed you clapping during the drill, since you couldn't coach or be hands-on, the team ended up winning. So if you want to take me through how superstition is, is such a huge part of <laughs> basketball. Yeah, I think it's superstition is a, is a huge part of probably all sports, and it depends on the person, right? And again, basically what you want to say is that I'm the reason with my clap is why we won all those games, and I appreciate that, Evan. Um but, you know, like superstition, I, I want to say I'm a huge superstitious person, but I definitely have my quirks. Um, and the clap was one of them as we did it that one time and then we won. And I was just like, Evan, we got to do it every time. And we kept winning and we just kept doing it. But uh, I think a lot of coaches, especially when you get to that conference tournament, like if you're wearing one suit or one tie that first game, a lot of them, maybe they don't even mean to, but they're like, as soon as that game ends, if you win, they're like, we got to wear the same thing. Um, at least that's how I am. Um I, I usually wear the same – if we win in a conference tournament, I wear the same suit, but I change the dress shirt just because I, I sweat a little bit, so I don't want to wear the same dress shirt. That's a little much for me. But everything else from the, the suit and then the tie and the shoes, I do the same, but no change the dress shirt and the socks. Um, so I'm a little superstitious. Uh, I'm not crazy superstitious. I don't think I was uh, you know, that crazy superstitious um, as a player, but I think as a coach – you know, there's just so much on the line that maybe I got a little bit more superstitious as I got into this profession. Uh, I remember uh, when when Mogalato was on the team, he would sit by me every game, and I, I would slap him before every single game, and that was our superstitious. And he got so used to it. There was one game 
that I forgot to do it. And right before it was right before the jump ball and he slaps me and he's like, coach, what are you doing? Um, and so there's definitely some, some superstitious to me. Um, I try not to go over the top, but I think sometimes I may. Okay. Anders. So you did a lot of unique things during your time at Campbell, but one of them that people may not know is we were short on a broadcaster, uh, two seasons ago, in women's basketball. So I reached out to you and asked, Hey, could you help fill in as a color analyst? What were your thoughts on, on sliding into that role and just being able to study and observe what Ronnie Fisher and, and his team was able to do? Yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, like I never uh, have thought of myself as somebody that would be a, a broadcaster or anything like that. But then you see when you watch sports in general, you see guys that are coaches that, that do it, you know, maybe when they retire and everything like that. So I was excited to see how it would feel. Um, and then obviously, you know, getting to work with you, who's a, a really good friend, um, you know, it was just going to be a fun night, uh, but it was awesome to, you know, get to study, uh, you know, two teams uh, being Campbell and then Charles and Southern, but getting to see coach Fisher in action. Um, I, I had seen him. I'd been at some of his practices and watched him before, but then really staying after to, to watch, I think two full practices and seeing the game planning and, and coach Fisher is an unbelievable coach. And I think one of the, the best things that he does, and I'm sure all the Campbell fans know it is his defense um, is unbelievable. And to really, get to uh, to see how he, you know, when they're scouting a team, what he's thinking about defensively and implementing and everything like that. And uh, just seeing their game plan was, was fun. And uh, hopefully I, I did okay job as a, as a broadcaster that one day. Well, let, um, let's not forget too, because, you know, Shai Tooley hits a, a game winning shot. One, you called the play right out of the timeout. You knew it was coming. And that probably, you know, who knows how people thought about that. But then two, you had a great line, and you said, Shai Tooley did it. She she won the game. Like, you just said it straight up. You were you were composed. You didn't – you know, you weren't a yeller or a screamer, and it made for a good broadcast. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was, it was, it was awesome to, to be a part of that. And obviously, like, the one time you do it to be a part of a big game like that where she hits a, a big-time shot um, was awesome for me. And, you know, you made it easy for me, but – uh, I think I actually jumped in. I, I don't know the rules of broadcasting, so I may have jumped in when it was supposed to be your line or anything like that. But I think one thing that was cool was after the game, because uh, the girls' staff knew that I did it, um, and then Adam, uh, who was their ops uh, ops guy at the time, he sent me a text from his dad, who was like, sent him a text saying, "Who was the guy that was broadcasting the game as the as the coach? He he did an unbelievable job." Um, so he sent me that, which was you know made me feel good about it um, and, and was something that, you know, again, I, I am not trying to be a broadcaster at, at any point. Um, I'm, I'm full on with this coaching career, but definitely enjoyed the, the one-time thing and, and being around you for that night. Well, if you ever need a side hustle or a uh, retirement gig, give me a call and we'll get you on ESPN plus one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll hold you to that. Hopefully I, I don't get fired anytime soon and I don't have to go that, that way, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, that, that's great. And we see it in baseball so much. So it's neat to notice that it, it translates. Um, working in the Southern Conference, which is, is so geographically close to the Big South, we get to interact with some of the same teams. But I want to get a sense from you to, to kind of wrap this up. When you're competing against the likes of Wes Miller at, at UNCG and we're seeing what Steve Forbes has done at ETSU and, of course, Furman, an excellent program, many others in that conference with Wofford as well. But what is it like on a day-to-day -day competing with, with those excellent coaches? And I guess, secondly, how do you think Steve Forbes is going to translate to Wake Forest and the success he's had you know, at ETSU for these last five years? Yeah, uh, I think the Southern Conference is an unbelievable conference. Like, I think I knew that uh, when I was at Campbell, just because, like you said, we play a lot of those teams and 
and the, the leagues are kind of close. Um, but like, I, I didn't fully realize how good of a league it was until you're playing against them every day and you're scouting these teams and, and you're just realizing like the talent that these guys have, um, you know, like, like ranking wise, the, the Southern conference the past few years has been ranked anywhere from like the 11th best to the 15th best. Um, so it's a high, high level conference. And, um, you know, I'd say an elite mid-major conference. Um, but I, I think, like you mentioned, part of the reason, obviously, the talented players makes the team so great. But then there's so many good coaches. Every coach in this league, um, you know, is is well known and, and does a great job. And uh, and I think that's what makes it challenging. But I think it also makes it fun is that, you know, you're competing against all these good players and coaches. Um, and that's what drives me. Like, you know me personally, but I'm a super competitive person, almost to a fault, probably sometimes. But I want to win everything and I want to, I want to beat those guys. And I, and I, I know uh, how far those guys are and where they are in their career. And it challenges me every day that, you know, us at VMI, we want to beat those guys and we want to compete against them. And, and so I think that part is unbelievable. And it, it drives me every day to, to wake up and know that we've got to compete against, uh, you know, ETSU and Steve Forbes when he was there and uh, Wes Miller of UNC Greensboro and Furman and down the line to Wofford and everybody. Um, in this league, and it drives you as a coach and a competitor to to want to be great. Um, talking about Coach Forbes, uh, he's an awesome coach, and he he did an unbelievable job um, with with ETSU, and and he's another guy that you know he worked for Coach Pearl when he was at Tennessee. Uh, I think he's going to do a fantastic job um, at, at Wake Forest. Like he his guys just play so hard. Uh, I think probably similar to Coach Pearl, he he does a really good job of motivating guys and you can tell that like when you're coaching against them is there's a true love that those players have for them and I think that goes a long way that they're going to be willing to go out of their way to run through a wall for them so he obviously does a great job motivating great job x's and o's and talent wise and they've got a really good staff as well and I think that's part of it so I think he'll do well at, at Wake Forest and obviously uh, you know coach Manny did a great job at Wake Forest too so uh, I think coach Forrest would do a great job. Since you are at VMI and we talk about rivalries, you know, Campbell and Radford were very competitive in, in the Big South. Um, obviously, you think of Army-Navy, Alabama-Auburn. But one that I've learned about from you recently that's kind of been fascinating to me is the VMI-Citadel rivalry. It does cross a couple of states from South Carolina to Virginia. But what is that like with, with two military schools in the, in the Southern Conference that pretty much are rivals in every sport? Yeah, the rivalry of VMI and Citadel is real. Um, and again, like I've been, at, I, I was lucky, like when I was at Auburn, you, you got the Auburn versus Alabama rivalry, which is, you know, very well known and, you know, arguably like the, the top rival, you, you might argue with your West Coast ties, USC, UCLA, but uh, the people in the South, we, we will say Alabama, Auburn probably. Um, but, you know, the Citadel VMI rivalry is, is something that's, that's real. And um, I think the biggest way that you can get a feel for it is, you talk to the VMI grads, you talk to Citadel grads, there is definitely a rivalry. And then you talk to, when you go and play, whether it's at VMI and you, uh, you come in and you hear our crowd and, you know, it's usually a sellout at at both basketball and football games and the alums come back for it. um, And you see how much they get into it. Um, It's an unbelievable atmosphere that you're in. Like you, uh, the the unique thing about VMI is like where our students, they get a a class ring um, and what our students, there's like a, what do they all wear their class ring when they go to the games and they just bang their class ring on this metal bar throughout the game. And it just, they're screaming and saying, you know, crazy things and doing a great job, but you just continue to hear this knocking on the bar, which I think makes, uh, you know, VMI's atmosphere unique. 
and then obviously especially in that citadel game and and the way the gym's set up they're kind of on on top of you at our games um you know which makes it uh where you feel like they're just breathing down your neck when the students are getting into it and the alums are getting into it and then you go to citadel and it's the same thing um where where all their students are at the games their alums come back um and and there's a there's a pride uh, of winning in that game obviously you know as a competitor you want to win in every game but there's a definite pride um in that citadel vmi game from both the players to the coaches to the uh, the people that work at the school, alums, everybody's excited about that game. And that's one that really matters, um, you know, for everybody. So definitely enjoy uh, being a part of that rivalry. And, and that staff at Citadel are, are great guys. It's kind of unique because they worked at VMI as well. So there's a, a real relationship that we have with that staff um, at Citadel when we're not playing against them, you know, like before the game. But then obviously when the game starts, we're trying to win that game. But there's a, a good relationship and a respect level for, our, for both schools and players and coaches, which I think is awesome. Yeah, many at Campbell know Duggar Bauckham and, and his success both at VMI and, and now the Citadel. So kind of the neat ties. And, and to wrap it all up, Andrew, you know, Birmingham Southern, as, as you well know, playing there, they were a Big South member as an original uh, part of the Big South. They've obviously since transitioned down, but a lot of ties for, for Andrew Golfsky. So uh, Coach Golfsky, which is just fun to say to wrap this up, uh, we appreciate you jumping on the uh, Camel Call podcast and, and certainly looking forward to – what you can do year two at, at VMI and getting back to coaching here soon. Yeah, appreciate it, uh, Evan. And again, you know, I, I enjoyed my uh, my great three years at Campbell and would, would not trade it for anything and always will have a lot of love for the, the Campbell community and the Campbell University as a whole and Coach McGee and, and everybody else on that staff. So appreciate you, Evan, and appreciate uh, you know, everything Campbell's done for me.